So I'm going to do my best with the time allotted. It'll be a lot of uh, main point overview, but we're going to go through it. And it, So if you remember last week, Pastor Tom took the last uh, passage in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And what I love the way we do uh, sermon series here at Springbrook. We don't allow the whims of the pastor to just come and go and whatever he wants to do each Sunday, but uh, a, bi a book of the Bible is chosen and then we just march straight through it and there's no cherry picking and you know if we're skipping something uh, based on something we want to avoid. You have our emails and you could shoot us one and say, I saw what you did there. But, so today we're just in chapter three. Uh, last week, Pastor Tom brought our attention to the ways the local church uh, should function, how we're designed to function, that we should be coming around one another to pray, that together we would enter the throne room of the Lord to confess who he is, to pit petition him for the Christ-likeness, and then for our needs to be given before him. He showed us that we should be generous with our giving so that the ministry of the local body could continue and he showed us how we should be in community with one another for our own health and the health of the body uh, of this church. And what I think is interesting about this particular passage, even though it's massive, is it's really uh, what it felt like to me, a stopgap in between the point made last week and then chapter four. And I noticed I'm the one who got the, this one. You get the good ones. I'm kidding. They're all good. The Bible's wonderful. It's the Word of God. It's pure and perfect, and now I feel like I'm, I'm safe now. I'm just unraveling, aren't I? So uh, what I think this passage will do is show us the example of what Luke was saying at the end last week, and then will give us the context going into next week. But I do think there's a few things, of course, that we can draw from this passage, and uh, I'll endeavor to do that. But let's read the whole, the whole thing, all chapter 3. I'll just go straight through, and I'll avoid going back through like I normally do just for the sake of time, but at least we'll understand the entirety of the context. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1. So now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and the man lay, uh, lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to, began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? 
And why do you stare at us, though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed uh, for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet uh, like me for your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this book how much we would have lost as a, a body of believers throughout the centuries if we would not have uh, your historical account of what happened in the first days, in the first months of your New Covenant, New Testament church being birthed. I'd ask that you would help us see the examples and the boldness and the love and the, the care that these two disciples had, that uh, you'd open our hearts and our souls to see what you'd have us see this morning. and uh, You would protect this time. And again, thank you for this body of Springbrook and those who are committed to it. We thank you for your son, the one who made all this possible. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen. Well, our context today is Peter and John, one who has um, forsaken Jesus in public while he's hanging on the cross, the other, the beloved disciple who uh, was there when Jesus said to him, take over my, the care of my mother, together walking into what a first uh, century Jew would be doing three times a day, going up into the temple to pray. And as they enter into this temple, they're walking up, they see uh, whether it's relatives or friends of this crippled man carry him up into what they called the beautiful gate. And this probably, uh, they don't know exactly. Uh, of course, I, they is in the much smarter people than we are. They don't know what gate this could be, though it's probably just much more ordained, uh, adorned than every other gate. And if you are in a religion like the Ju Jewish faith at that time, 
where you pray, you read scriptures, and you give alms to the poor, what a better place to lay your buddy down who can't walk than the most beautiful moving gate of the most beautiful moving building in the city. And there he was, we'd see in the context of chapter 4, a 40-year-old man who had lived there probably his entire life, who was born with legs that did not work in a city that is a city but is not a booming metropolis of the time, would walk past this man every day, possibly multiple times a day, for years. They understood who this was. Could you imagine then, as you, uh, in this scene, saw a couple guys come up to this man, start speaking to him, not only start speaking to him, but demand that they meet eyes. Say, and he, Peter says, look at us. Let's see what Peter said again. He said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do I have to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Through Jesus' name, through faith in his name, as an apostle of Christ, Peter heals this man. And if we recall back to last week's sermon, we see the answer for the why this would happen. We saw in Pastor Tom's sermon in in verses 42 to 43 last week, written, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the the new believers. And the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And if you were to pause and say, gee, I wonder what the apostles were doing. I'm glad you asked because we've got a mammoth chapter just answering that one thing. There was a point to the apostles being able to do miraculous gifts. Specific people who saw Jesus, the living Jesus, whether before or after he died, and then was sent out for his ministry before the first letters or books that we would call the New Testament were ever written, let alone completed, There was apostolic gifts given to these men so that they could grab the attention of those around them so that they could preach the gospel and the Spirit would rip through these people and change the lives and souls. And as I was trying to think of an illustration, uh, it's always safe to go to either Narnia, but I'm going to spare you Narnia today and go to the Lord of the Rings, which is uh, equally safe, but maybe uh, it's not better. C.S. Lewis is the king of all writing. We, we know that. Okay, so in the Lord of the Rings, of course, you have Sauron represented by the big eye, and he's watching everything. He wants to totally wipe out everything, make everything slaves. And in the very beginning of the first movie, we see the battle where the, sword, the young man, is. his name is Isildur, Isildur. I told Pastor Tom I was going to ask him because I can't remember. Isildur grabs his dad's sword, takes a swipe at the hand of Sauron. The sword shatters into many pieces. Sauron is somewhat defeated, and then that sword is taken on and later remade and recrafted and put in the hands of Aragorn. And Aragorn, in the final movie, The Return of the King, needs the help and the aid of the army of the dead. 
And again, this is uh, Tolkien, so it's okay to mention those things, right? To defeat Sauron as he's coming up to the city of Gondor, of which he is the rightful king, he needs to go into this mountain pass to get this army who left the ancient army and now is cursed to roam in death without peace. And so Aragorn with his buddies, uh, Gimli and Legolas, head down into this thing, demand the king follow him into battle. And if you remember the film, the king says, basically, hit the road. Uh, you're not leaving here, but uh, that's just for the, the rated G version. Okay. And then takes a swipe with his sword. And there's only one sword in the existence of the swords that could have stopped the swing. And that was the man who wielded that the king of Gondor. This grabbed the king's attention to make a point that the rightful king has returned. The line that you thought was gone forever is here. The king recognized that. The dead king recognizes this, came to aid, and then saved the people, at least for that moment. That's precisely what the the Holy Spirit is doing here through the apostles that these apostles were giving, given specific powers, like that gift of tongues that we saw used that jumped to the church from 300 or 100 or so believers up to 3,000. What we'll see as I steal Pastor Tom's thunder next week is it goes from 3,000 to 5,000 from this moment, because of this moment. It is a specific thing that the Lord is doing through the apostolic gifts in this time. Well, then we should ask to do what? Why were these things so amazing? What did Peter and the other apostles then do once they had the attention of the crowd? Well, certainly they shared the message of Jesus Christ. They shared the gospel of the hope of the kingdom of God that has come in this time. So let's go back. I said I wouldn't do it, uh, but we'll read 11 through 21. It's much shorter this time. Verse 11 While this man who was healed clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the porticle called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, it, he addressed the people and he said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he, had decided, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, Peter or John and I, to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, is what made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And this is where we're going to focus in for a little bit, because it's not necessarily repeating what we had a couple weeks ago. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from your presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. 
whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So if you've noticed there in the end, Peter is giving us two concrete times. We have the first coming of Jesus. He comes through the Virgin Mary. He grows. He's perfect. Peter proclaims that uh, he was here. You killed him. You wanted the murderer off the cross. Your righteous creator, holy one, went to the cross instead. You did this in ignorance. That was his first coming. Repent, therefore, and turn back before his second coming. When we will be everything consummated into perfection, we will be glorified. The earth and new heaven and new earth will be made perfect. But he bookended something, right? So what's in the middle? I don't know if that's just the books, right? If that's what we'll say. What are the, the things in the middle of the bookends that we should pay attention to? So there's a couple things. He says, your sins may be blotted out if you repent. And the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So let's break that down. The bit bigger overall text that we're given today. First of all, when you accept Jesus or you trust him or you come to faith in him for your sins and the deliverance of those, that he's God and that the Lord raised him from the dead, those sins will just peel away. They fall away from you. They are blotted out. Right? It's like ink that has been written into words and then someone came, comes through and spills the ink and then you can't see the words anymore. Your sins are unseen by the Father because he views you through the lens of the Son. And it's not even technically right to say it that way. It's that really Jesus took your place and then you got put into Jesus' place. This is something that we're studying in the kids' club in my fifth and sixth grade group as we walk through the Pilgrim's Progress. That sin is like this big weight upon your back. And something had to be done to remove it. And the Pilgrim carries that weight. It's that image of sin carried around every day. We don't know what to do with it and we're crippled by it. We're held back by it. We're scarred and we're wounded by it but he doesn't see it any longer. The father removes that from you through faith in his son, Jesus. It's blotted out. And that's an amazing gift. It's almost as if Peter in his sermon, as he's saying that you think this is great, this is amazing that I was able to heal a man's feet? Some 40-year-old dude that you've seen for 40 years, you think that's great? You should hear of Jesus who heals your soul takes you from the depths of hell where your punishment has been earned and places you where Jesus should be in righteousness. You think the feat is amazing? Wait till you see what Jesus is about to do in our lives. What he does on the behalf of the believer. That you get to be with the perfect God one day. It's not just left here. It is something that refreshes the soul. Daily, I would hope, if not weekly, because I know Pastor Tom drums this every Sunday, that the gospel of Christ is the thing that refreshes you and carries you through this life. Another way, <clears throat> excuse me, another way that we're refreshed in between the bookends of Jesus' first and second coming is through the church or the local body. 
what you could say an expression of the greater church, a local church of Springbrook Church. So I'd say you could ask, what is the church? And this is what Pastor Tom was preaching on last week. The church is a body of believers uniting around a mission through membership as we pursue the Lord. Until either we die, the Lord calls us away, or he returns. And I think that I would ask us, and myself, I've been doing it this week as well, to look inward and take stock or inventory of how we view the church. And let's be specific. We're all here in Springbrook. How we view Springbrook Church in the inner workings of our lives. If, especially if you're committed through membership, if you, in the analogy of marriage, that you're, you're in it, right? You've committed everything, you're, you're being, you've signed maybe something. I don't, do, you, do we sign at the end of, you signed it. I should have said it with more emphasis, right? You've put at least your name to it, that you love this body and you're committing yourself to it and you're coming under it and you're coming in it to where you can encourage others with your specific giftings through Christ, It's our fellowship. And I think this is one example of how the elders of the church are starting to build up structures or trying to come go into a place where fellowship is readily available, ready to take advantage of us, of us in the body. And I see three things, if I were just, and these are broad categories, okay, of people in our body. You have those who are extremely well off. Everything is just rocking and rolling. You have very little needs, if any. And, and a threat to that position in our lives is that we can then slowly wander, not necessarily drift. It's, we're making life choices that slowly remove us from the gift of the body and what God is doing it as he refreshes us. Or things are not going well. Of course, that's just the other side of this spectrum. Things are really bad and we begin to pull away from the body to protect or things are really overwhelming and we don't want people to get into the nitty gritty and I completely understand that. I've also heard someone that say that they didn't want to be a burden on the church leadership so they went somewhere else for counseling and that breaks my soul because this entire church, I know every single one of us is just waiting to come along someone who is hurting so that they don't hurt alone, they don't fall through cracks, they don't feel neglected. And then, of course, there's probably the majority of people in here that are not in the extremely good or in the extremely bad. We're kind of in that white noise area where there's just, it's like we have all these white noise makers in our house. They're playing everywhere. They're like, shh, you can't hear the, the creaks and the baby sleep better. And then you get almost addicted to it and you can't sleep with any noise. We almost get put on cruise control in there too. And we withdraw from the body. We don't feel the need or we don't experience or taste what the body is doing for us as we are around one another. So I ask, do we view the body as an essential thing of what we need? Let me lay out the way that it seems that God views fellowship of church. This is more of a systematic approach as we just approach this topic, thinking of the ways that God refreshes us in there. And John MacArthur uh, famous pastor out in California. You can take him or leave him, but I think that 
in this uh, Ligonier article, I thought that he was really helpful. He wrote about this of the point of church fellowship. The troubles of this world are manifold and relentless. It's not easy to stay fo so focused on heaven that we remain unperturbed by the afflictions of earthly life. We're commanded to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's Colossians 3, 2. But even the most committed believer will testify that earthly trials sometimes obscure the heavenly perspective. We worry, we grieve, we stumble, we strain under the toil of our daily labors. We feel the guilt of our fallen uh, condition. Meanwhile, we are assaulted with adversities of various kinds. But that is precisely why the church is so important. It is our duty as believers to help bear one another's burdens. When someone staggers, we help steady the load. If he is straining, we help bear the burden. And if he stumbles, we lift him up. Helping fellow believers carry the weight of their worldly troubles is one of the chief practical duties that ought to consume every Christian. We're all in need of refreshment. Whether you're far to the left or to the right, or you're one of the many ways to be in between, there's not one of us who can't use the encouragement to press onward in the Christian life. This often comes out in these one another statements throughout the New Testament. I thought I'd just view a few. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. John wrote in 1 John 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Be, Paul wrote, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He wrote in another place, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir one up another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you draw, see the day drawing near. This is a a togetherness thing that is the Christian walk. And I constantly see, even in ourselves, as Pastor Tom and I are here all the time and we're thinking about these things, there's just things that draw and pull us away from the body or thinking about the body or who we can help. But I think that what we can see here from this overview is that we're designed to live in community. And not like live in the city because it's better community, because it's not. Okay, I'll just say that. That's what we say in real ministry, right? Okay. This is together in the church body community. One of my fondest memories being in the church is when I was discipled by a dear brother, Mark. He was like way, way older than me, like in his 60s or something, right? <laughs> just, just a groan. Okay. Point is, he was much wiser than me. And we'd meet every day, uh, every Tuesday, sorry, for breakfast and this was pre-COVID, so he could afford just having breakfast once a week with me, apparently. 
And uh, I remember Miranda and I had just had a tiff about something, I, and I tried. I honestly tried so hard to remember what it was, and I just couldn't. It was my fault, though, I'm sure. And I just offloaded on Mark. I was like, this is what happened, and this is what I said to her. And he smiled, and he nodded through the whole thing. And he just said, you know, don't do that. <laughs> and I was struck because I'm just used to people going along with what you say. And then he kind of went on for a while about how we should be loving and caring of our wives and understanding uh, and living with them in an understanding way. And that is the beauty of interchurch discipleship, meeting with one another of one of us who's weak and understanding what marriage is and the other one who's well equated with marriage and marriage difficulties can just tell a young person to stop and to love your wife. Right? That, that is the, what we are able to do as we've promised to be together in this walk. I needed that correction from a brother that loves me. And he was encouraging too. There's other better things that came out in those times. But I think you get, get my point that in here as we're processing how the Lord would refresh us in between the first and second coming of Christ, that it would be through the church and fellowship and relationship in the church. All right, I think uh, that's, that's good there. So our, our remaining passage here in verses 20 through, 22 through 26. He's continuing on in his sermon. He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that very, every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here Peter wraps up this great sermon. I don't know if it rings as deeply as it does to us because we're not quite as familiar with our Old Testaments or what they would have called the Hebrew Bible, but every single thing that he preached there, they would have grasped. They would have understood that he was connecting Jesus as the old promised Messiah. But he says here, and this is where I'll kind of sit and rest until we finish, that in verse 25, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What does that mean? Why is this Jesus a blessing? When I say Jesus is a blessing because of the law of God. Right? I don't think we often view our sin in the light of the law of God because God created the world in this perfect and beautiful way. Perfect union with everything that existed. It creates Adam and Eve and nothing was wrong until they sinned. And then we were cast into sin with them. And then from that, God gave us the law so that we would be able to see how far away from God we actually were, that how incapable we were to even keep one of the laws, let alone the entirety of the thing, for the entirety of our life. We were no different in the picture than the man with the crippled feet, born a cripple, 
still a cripple, as long as it was until Jesus captured our hearts. This is what the law of God requires to be saved, is utter and complete perfection from the day you were born until the day that you die. That's not very good news. That's not a blessing. But there is a different way to be saved, if you're unfamiliar with that. And that is being found in the most perfect man who has ever existed. He is the hope. He is the one who could live by the law to fulfill the law, to be the perfect sacrifice for you, that even while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you would be saved by grace. Your guilt and shame that we carry would be cast away. As Peter said, it would be blotted out from God's view. That the speed of which we run away from sin with blinders on or ignoring the reality of truth of the Bible and God's existence all around us, like that white noise again, we're able to just ignore all the creaks of the old houses. We don't have to focus on those things because we can build up our lives to be so busy that the only way to be saved from the wrath of God is the believing and confessing of his perfect son, Jesus. And the deepest corner of our hearts, the recesses of our soul, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the king of the universe, that God raised him from the dead to be our substitute. Jesus is the blessing to the earth. He is the blessing from the forefathers. He is the forsaken son who saves whoever comes to believe in him. He's not the one who only heals the broken bones and the ligaments of broken men. He's the one who calls us into perfection through his own sacrifice, who calls us into the fellowship of the church to be refreshed so we wouldn't walk alone through trials and difficulties or even the wonderful times of lives when they come. He's the one who gave up his own life so that you do not have to. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we thank you for this passage out of the many things that we could pull out of this, that uh, you show us that you sent your perfect son. We did nothing to earn it. We did everything to earn the opposite of it. Yet if those men who uh, called for Bar uh, Barabbas to be saved and Jesus to be condemned, if they could be saved, if the man on the cross could be saved who is next to Jesus, you certainly can save any person alive today. I thank you for making that free gift. I thank you for going through all the things that were required of us that would have never happened on our own. Thank you for the boldness of Peter and John in this passage. I'd ask that you would help keep these truths in our hearts the things that matter, you would wipe away the things that were not. And I'd ask, us, ask for help as we wrap up this uh, service that you would be with us and, and carry us. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.